You're listening to the Startup Finance Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, a show entirely focused on helping you to build a financially fit and fundable business. On this show, we connect you with finance aficionados to impart their expertise to help your business grow. The Startup Finance Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community and voice for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe to this Startup Finance Podcast through iTunes and Google Play Music. This podcast is presented in partnership with MasterCard, a technology company in the global payments industry. MasterCard's global payments processing network connects consumers, financial institutions, merchants, governments in more than 210 countries and territories. MasterCard products and solutions make everyday commerce activities such as shopping, traveling, running a business, and even managing your finances easier, more secure, and more efficient. I am your host, Dr. Sean Wise, Professor of Entrepreneurship at Ryerson University. I bring more than 19 years experience in seed investing, including five seasons spent supporting CBC's Dragon's Den. I've published dozens of articles for Profit, Inc., and even Canadian Business, as well as several best-selling books on venture capital, entrepreneurship, and pitching ideas. Want to connect with me after this podcast? Join me at 100stepstostartup.com. We're thrilled to have Patrice Musso on the show today. Patrice is an Ojibwe entrepreneur from Fort William, First Nation, Ontario, who solved a market gap by creating a new line of organic skincare products out of her very own kitchen. Patrice is the owner of the company, Satya Organic Skincare, which was developed out of the need to treat her baby daughter's eczema. At the time, Patrice refused to treat her daughter's condition with steroid cortisone creams, which led her eventually to seek out an organic skincare solution. In today's podcast, we'll talk to in today's podcast, we'll talk to Patrice about her experiences with raising funds from the beginning to where she is now. Welcome to the show, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. I'm really glad to be here. Well, I'm really glad to have you here. There's so much we can learn from you. But over the next half hour, what learnings do you want our listeners to walk away with? Um, well, one thing I actually wanted to mention um, in the intro is, you know, mentioning that I refused to use steroids on my baby. Um, I had the skill set to actually create something of my own. But I know that for a lot of moms, this is what they're being told their doctor by their doctors to use. So I don't want anyone to feel like I'm a bad mom because I use steroids because that is really not at all um, the truth. Um but why didn't you want to do it for your baby? Your baby was suffering. Why did you decide that the unmet market need needed to be satisfied? Well, for me, I had seen several news stories about the detriments of especially long-term steroid use. And I thought that there just must be another option out there, something else that I could try. And when I looked at what was on, you know, commercially available at stores and online, it was just full of fragrance and parabens and fillers and chemicals that I didn't want. Um, so because as you know, I'm an, an ex-journalist and I'm, I love research. So I just started digging um, into traditional medicine and academic studies. And I had time because my daughter only slept 
20 minutes at a time for the first year. So I had the unique combination of skills that allowed me to create this. But really, I wasn't doing anything more than any mother would do for their child. I'm not sure every mother wouldn't want to do that, but I'm not sure they're capable of doing that. What made you decide, you know, you'd been a journalist for a long time. What made you decide to to take the entrepreneurial route? Two things. Um, one, it's a consistent challenge every day. Um, and it's always different, which I absolutely love. And the reason why I got into journalism in the first place was that I wanted to make a difference. Um, I know it sounds somewhat naive, but I really wanted to change the world. And that really, I don't feel like that was the effect that I was having. Um, but here on an individual scale, every day someone calls me and tells me that I made a difference to them or to their children or to an elderly family member. And that is really what I wanted to accomplish right from the very beginning. Now, I think that's great. And I think that you started your company with uh, the fuel of passion, but passion doesn't fund startups. Passion doesn't buy marketing. Passion doesn't buy a uh, cost of goods sold. So let's talk a little bit about the story of your finance journey. Sure. So, um, in a way, passion at least can get you started because it allow you to go, you know what, I'm okay going into debt. And debt is a great way to start your business. <laughs> I mean, I put everything that I could into my business, um, be it credit cards, credit lines, everything I could to self-finance to get going. Um, and then I ended up going to really small funders to get other little sources of debt financing. Like my very first um, bit of financing I got was a $5,000 loan. And it was literally to get like a bigger crock pot and a few other things that I needed to, to grow my business. You know, you, you laugh about that, but that money allowed you to have a bigger crockpot, which is a bigger facility to produce, and that allowed you to produce more. And I think in the beginning, you really bootstrapped it. You used early sales to, to, to fuel you. And, I, and people are going to want to know how big you are now, but we'll get there in a second. But, but, but tell me about that transition. How did you get comfort around borrowing lots of money when you had never been an entrepreneur before? Well, I mean, that's tough, right? Because culturally, we're like, oh my God, debt is the worst. But as an entrepreneur, probably debt is one of the best things that you can have. Because if you give away equity in your company, I mean, that is so much more expensive than than um, taking care of debt. So you really have to kind of flip your mindset and just in a way put sort of willful blinders on about the amount of money that you owe and just figure that it's going to work out in the future. Like you do have to be an optimistic person who is okay with risk. Definitely. If you don't have those things, I think that maybe your entrepreneurial journey maybe you should keep your day job. <laughs> it might be very short lived. Yeah. Now, last year you received, well, you received some awards, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Last year you received capital from a new type of investment project created by a woman-centric organization, SheEO. Tell me about what that is, uh, what the process was of applying for, what it was like competing for it, and, and in the end, how it felt earning that source of capital mm -hmm. from other fabulous women. So CEO is actually a really cool organization. It started by a woman by the name of Vicki Saunders, and she was running tech companies and had basically been fed up with the way that women 
weren't getting the kind of capital funding that um, we deserve, basically. Uh, women are creating businesses in Canada at one and a half times of men, and we're only getting, at best, about 4% of all venture capital. So she had had enough. So she started this thing called CEO, and what it is is you get 500 women together, and they donate $1,000 of their own money. That means they don't get any equity in the company or whatever. It's strictly generosity. And they create a pot of a half a million dollars. Then you run a business competition across Canada. The application is very easy because I know a lot for a lot of these awards and grants, I mean, the paperwork is just ridiculous. But for this, it's only about 10 or 12 questions, very straightforward. Then if you get to the semifinals, it's a little more onerous with, you know, their financials and stuff. But then the people who vote on who's going to win this are actually the activators, those 500 women that put their money in. So instead of it being like a board or whatever, it's actually the people who put their skin in the game. So then you end up with a top five, and those are the winners, of which I was one. And then the five of us got together in a cottage over the weekend and figured out how to divide that half million dollars amongst us. So it wasn't awarded. We just literally had to get together, go over each other's business plans, um, you know, see how we could share resources, find out if there were any shortcuts, like information that we can share amongst each other to make our, our businesses more streamlined. And it was interesting because when we went in, our initial ask was almost a million dollars amongst the five of us. By the time we were finished, I think we had about $12,000 left over. Well, how does that work? How, you know, you would think if this was a, an economic uh, mental exercise that everyone would be looking for as much as they possibly can. But that's not seemingly what happened in this case. So how did the five of you decide to deal with the 500000 Well, we really, I mean, we. Sp I'm not going to give you the exact amounts because that's sort of between us. But um, what we did is we really got to know not only each other's businesses, but each other as, as who we were as human beings. And I, I don't feel like it didn't become combative or aggressive. If anything, I feel like I walked out of that process with four new sisters. Like they, we all got really down deep into who we are and what we needed. Um, and then we just figured out the best way that we, we should be spending this money. Um, but the money wasn't the best thing that came out of this. The best thing was those 500 activators. Because now, if I have a question, I have a brain trust of 500 amazing women that if I have you know, anything that I could just question, I could send out via email, and I have all these people who are willing to support me and help me and share their experience and their information and their contacts. It's, it's pretty incredible. Oh, I have to agree. The only thing better than a mentor is a mentor with a vested interest. You know, I realize it's not an equity investment, but there's still something to be said when someone puts their money up right beside their mouth. Well, they voted for you, right? Like they get it. They love your business. Plus you do get a business coach as well, which has been fantastic. Love it. Tell me about what you think made you one of the finalists. When you look at those five people, when you compare yourself to those who didn't make it that far, or, but you knew who were out there, why do you think you made it to the very end? Well, I think people could, I mean, eczema and psoriasis, like these are really widespread problems. 
everybody either has eczema or knows someone who suffers from it. So I think that was an easy connection. Um, so they actually wanted to buy my product, you know, so that that's a really good indicator for people like, will your investor or your activator want to use your product? Um, and also I think they were able to connect with me and, and what I'm trying to do. Like it was for my baby. And I think people can also relate to that, especially a bunch of women. Well, I have to move on past money, but there is one question. This sort of activity is is sort of new, this crowdfunding, group funding, but there have always been non-dilutive funding sources, whether that be government grants or matching programs. What advice do you have for other entrepreneurs who may not be ready for the venture capital, angel, pure equity, million-dollar deals? Are there ways to bootstrap that you found helpful? Are there ways to fund with selling? Are there ways to market to future customers? What have you done that others should learn from? Um, okay. Well, first off, I would say debt as long and as hard as you can. Like equity to me, in my personal opinion, is the very last option because it's really the most expensive one. Because once you bring those people in, that's it. Like they're with you for the rest of your business and they are going to own a chunk of you and they want big return. So even if you have like a, a really sweet deal, if you can do debt, always do it as, as long as you, as long as you can. So as I mentioned, like going through personal debt, going to banks, um, I have the opportunity to here in the BC, we have a, a credit union called uh, Van City, who's incredibly supportive of small business. So maybe not even like the top three banks, maybe there's a local credit union that will give you more personal sort of attentions and maybe help you to understand what they need and they can understand what your business is too. Cause it's really about building relationships. And I know that there are new ways of doing financing, um, that doesn't necessarily involve equity. There's, um, revenue based financing now. So if you're actually profitable, people will lend you a certain amount of money and you can pay them back over time. Um, if you have a big purchase order coming up, they could you could potentially get some revenue off of that. So don't think that equity is the only way to grow your business because it certainly isn't. And of course, grants. I mean, it's a, like, I hate red tape. I hate the bureaucracy, but there still are some options out there. And if you can find someone who will help you navigate that, there's another good options too, for sure. Well, absolutely. If you think about it, uh, your whole goal is to generate wealth and you'll pay tax on that. All this is is an advance towards your creating that wealth mm -hmm. on future taxation. Mm -hmm. Let's move away from tax and finances. Bring us up to speed with the story of you. I know the, the, the high level points, but I don't want to steal your thunder. Give me the, the two or three bullet points that our, our listeners need to know. Oh, my goodness. Um, OK, so I you know, started my business. Um, I did. I started in farmers markets, which was actually amazing customer research. I was actually able to talk to my customers and find out customers and find out what they really needed. Um, my first day, I sold one hundred and ten dollars. Awesome. Um, then I got my first retailer, uh, and that was based on the fact that I was able to clear a rash under her ring finger. Um, then we went up to 70 stores. Uh, and then you can tell us which stores they're in. People want to buy your product. Oh, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so 70 stores in the lower mainland in BC. 
Um, then Whole Foods got interested and Canada's largest um, natural product distributor, Purity Life, got interested as well. And I was like, okay, this is fantastic. Give me a couple months to like ramp up because I didn't want to leave them in the lurch if I couldn't produce. So I did that. And then, which was really good because I went from 70 stores to 400 stores in two months. Um, then we did a CBC radio interview um, that was about eight minutes long talking about Shio, and then people found out about the product that way. We did something like $37,000 online in a week. Um, every store across Canada was sold out in four days, and there were waiting lists. It was bananas. Um, now we are sitting at about 640 stores across Canada. Uh, Rexall will be taking us on, uh, we'll be on the shelf with them in July, which is another 300 stores. So I think that quite easily we'll be at about a thousand, um, this year. Now this isn't just a quantity thing though. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have quality. You're one of the best selling items in several of these SKUs in several of these stores. So, um, Whole Foods, for example, I just got a call fairly recently, um, that we are the number two selling product across all of first aid in Whole Foods. And I have another store here uh, called Palm and it's a natural product slash grocery store. And we're the number one product in the entire store. Congratulations. Thank you. So yeah, it's, no I mean, small people feat. love it. It actually works. Um, and it's a good alternative for people who are just, you know, even doctors will tell you that, you know, use sparingly, use for a couple weeks as far as the steroids go. But that's usually not enough for people. And if you can use my product, then if you ever need to use steroids, it's going to work far better than if you've been using it every day. Right. But for some people, they never even have to touch them. And I think that's great. Now, you've had overnight success and it's only taken you a few years. <laughs> so let's see if we can remember back to those early days because, you know, first time founders are out there just like you. What were some of the, the myths or mistakes that you held in your head that now, months and years later, you sort of look back and chuckle? What would you want other people to know isn't so scary or, or isn't the way you think it is? Well, I think one of the things that, I mean, because I, I've never run a business before. This is my first time. And I think I had a lot of insecurity around my ability to run the business. Like, I, I guess I had a stereotype in my head. And so I believed that I needed to bring other people in to help run the company. And that's not true at all. Um, no one knows the company as well as I do. Um, and no one is, is, has a deeply uh, vested interest as I do. So I would say to people listening that trust yourself, trust that you are just as good, if not better than anyone you're going to be bringing into this company to help you with. And if you are bringing in someone like a consultant or um, whatever, never, ever, ever bring anybody in under sweat equity. They must bring. Tell me about that. Never. Because <laughs> it's a very specific statement and I may know why you're saying it, but I don't think our, our listeners do. So tell me what's wrong with bringing in consultants with sweat equity. Um, okay. Well, you consultants should be brought, people like that should be brought in in a very specific 
uh, task with a very specific end date. And this idea that somebody's going to come in and say, oh, I'm going to, you know, we're going to grow your business and I'm going to handle this and you can do all the fun stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I'm only going to take like X number of percentage of your company. Run screaming. It's completely unethical. You as a entrepreneur are very vulnerable and you're overworked and you are stressed out and you're constantly questioning your decisions and somebody coming in saying they have all the answers run like because they don't and the fact is that you probably do you just need a little more space um I would say hire an assistant uh, instead, someone who can take, you know, give you a little bit more, um, take care of the administrative tasks and then give you a little more breathing and thinking space. That's a far better option, I think. No, I hear you. Now, you you did raise some money and, and you did it through debt, through some of these grant programs. What is your advice for entrepreneurs who, once they've raised the money, to how to spend it wisely in order to get up to scale? Because like you said, you started with a small crock pot and then you moved up. You didn't start a factory right away. So what's your advice for entrepreneurs who have raised, what's your advice for entrepreneurs who've raised money? Um, do not spend money unless you absolutely have to. Ever. So even if you have a big pile of <laughs> oh my it, God. pretend you don't. Pretend you don't. Put it away. There's going to be instances coming that, that you're going to need that cash. Like even if you get a loan for like $50,000 or whatever, don't be like, oh, we can do this and do this and do this now. No. Like I, like I do trade shows, for example, and everybody loves my booth because it's very like homey and warm and, and everything else. But I did not buy my booth. I literally went to Value Village and found awesome stuff that I could make a beautiful booth with because I believe that there are ways that you can be as cost effective as possible and still have a very successful company. Absolutely. There's actually a, a, a school of thought in venture capital that it's overfunding that kills companies, that by keeping them hungry and focused, they put the right money in the right spot at the right time and they don't go out and buy fancy booths before they know it. Now, startup success often pairs with financial discipline. Uh, so what are your best practices for staying on top of the less fun things, the bookkeeping and the expenses, and to make sure not only you're filing your taxes right, but that you're actually spending right, that you're using your financial information to influence your strategy? So I was so bad at this, Sean, like so bad. I, But I luckily found an amazing accountant who takes care of me and has taken care of me for a very long time that I didn't get completely screwed over. Um, but she has trained me now that every month I have specific, I know exactly what my specific expenses are. Um, I have exactly how much money I'm estimated to bring in each month. And I have another column for one-time expenses. And I am looking at that and updating that whenever I have any sort of um, large one-time expenses coming through. The rest of it's just generated normally like every month. So it's super simple. Like I honestly, I hate math. I hate Excel spreadsheets. I am like the least probably, you know, paperwork organized person on the planet, but this is totally manageable. But you do have to find something. Otherwise you are leaving yourself open to take being taken advantage of. So you need to know 
where your money is going. And, and also it gives you opportunity to look at it going, mm, maybe can I, can I get a little tighter on this? Can I lower that cost at all? And your cost to fine tune it. is you fine tune it and you're getting your costs are lowering and lowering and lowering. Like I, I literally just dropped like a dollar 30 off my costs in the last month, which is huge, which is huge on a product that, that is single digit dollars. Yep. You know, it's not, that's a, that increases your margin. I'm always amazed that people say they're too busy to deal with that. I'm like, are you too busy to fill up your car? Because eventually it causes more of a problem than filling it up regularly. Yeah. It becomes super you know, empowering when you know exactly what's going on in your company. Absolutely. Now, you have gone from zero to hero in a very short period of time. And unfortunately, we don't have lots more time to chat. But do you have any final words of advice for our listeners today on financing their business, on on, on following their dream? Trust yourself. Um, equity is the last resort. And um, just have fun. Because honestly, this is such a blast. I love, love doing this. So... Yeah, I guess that's about it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Finance Podcast, a show dedicated to providing entrepreneurs with advice and experiences on startup finance. Want to access more resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca to gain access to support, resources, and events. And be sure while you're there to check out all the other original Startup Canada podcast series on the Startup Canada Podcast Network.